This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com and more podcasts presented by Obsessive Viewer at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And on Patreon, at the $1 level, you'll have access to almost 150 at this point, um, <laughs> uh, exclusive B-roll episodes of us just kind of talking uh, as a warm-up recording for the main event recording. <laughs> uh, in this Patreon episode, we talked about movies that are coming up for the rest of the year that we're interested in, and uh, some Criterion releases that we're looking forward to, and uh, uh, how much Ben is super excited for... Uh, um jesus uh space jam uh new legacy yep um <laughs> uh at the two dollar per month level you'll get that plus tv review and reaction episodes where i recently reviewed every episode of loki and every episode of Lisey's story and every episode of the falcon and the winter soldier and also the complete series of superstore and the first season of rutherford falls so all of that is at two dollars per month plus the b-roll episodes and at the $5 a month level, you'll get all of that plus movie commentary tracks that I record somewhat infrequently now. <laughs> and finally, at the $10 a month level, you get all of that plus early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content. Um, just so you guys know, we're releasing this episode early next week, but um, our Patreon supporters at $10 will probably have access to it uh, Saturday at the latest. So um, a little incentive to, to do that. Um, so yeah, so get, again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And uh, I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt. And with me today is the other aforementioned uh, co-host on the podcast, recurring co-host and contributing OV reviewer, Ben Sears. How's it going? Good. Good, good. You just p recently posted a review of the Nicolas Cage movie Pig. Yes, I did. On the website. On the newly redesigned website. Yeah. Um, how Smooth and sleek and... Yes. Much less clever. Designed for the future. Yes. It now looks much less like a uh, shitty <laughs> GeoCities kind of thing. <laughs> so maybe Rotten Tomatoes will pay attention to me now. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, but also like I, I had this, I had this stupid thought that, um, <laughs> I wanted to post uh, a meme of this, but I didn't want to be too self-deprecating about the website, but, uh, cause I just have a free WordPress website with a free theme on there, but now I have upgraded it. I have a premium theme and it looks a little, a little bit sleeker, but, um, <laughs> like I want to post like a tweet that says something to the effect of like, this is what my website is saying, um, is saying now that I've upgraded the look a little bit and it would just be a, a picture, a, a still from the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the baby sketch of, I, I think you should leave season two. And it would just be, um, Tim Robinson saying like, I used to be a piece of shit, <laughs> 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 which, uh, is delightful. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm Good. also planning on doing Patreon reviews of, of the first two seasons of I Think You Should Leave, by the way. Great. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. What about, uh, how did you feel about Pig? Are, were you going to bring that up for Potpourri, or did you want to promote your work on the internet? Um, 
Yeah, you can read it on the website. Uh, but yes, it's. I was very pleasantly surprised at how much I liked it. Nice. I think it's one of the best movies of the year so far. Very good. Cool. Uh, and I got a the email uh, when it was like announced for their release date or whatever from uh, Neon, who distributed mm-hmm. it. And I just kind of wrote it off because, you know, it's a, I don't see many Nicolas Cage movies these days. And the premise just did not really sound interesting at all to me. What is the premise? Because I I haven't, I've only heard the title in Nicolas Cage. The premise is that Nicolas Cage is a... Uh, a loner who lives in the woods uh, in Oregon, um, and he uh, hunts for truffles with his pig, who okay. the these pigs, you know, can have a very uh, instinctive uh, way to find these rare and expensive truffles. So he goes out through the woods, honey, uh, looking for truffles with it, and he has this really close bond with it. And one night the pig gets uh, kidnapped and taken from him. So he goes out and searches for it. And just the way that it goes from that very basic premise that sounds like, you know, every other Liam Neeson movie uh, of the past 10 years. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh, The way that it deviates from that is just incredible. And, the ideas that it has at play in this movie are just really uh, profound and really well done. I was very impressed with it. And Nicolas Cage does a really good performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, I mean, I I shouldn't be surprised because he's a, a good actor. Yeah. He just, when he you wants know, to be. <laughs> right. He just doesn't choose projects very mm-hmm. uh, selectively. But, um, yeah, he he does a very good, very subtle, very quiet performance, and it's nice. really good. So very check it out. It's it, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be in theaters. Sweet. And I looked it up. It's not in a whole lot of theaters. It's okay. not like Limited widely release. available just yet. Like it's here in indie, mm-hmm. but not you know everywhere. Okay. So check it out. Interesting. And that's called Pig. And check out Ben's review. I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, very cool. Um, there was something I was going to ask you about. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, just stupid. Um, <laughs> when you said the premise and everything, I just, I, when I said the, the different titles, I, I wanted to also throw in there Detective Crashmore um, from, I think, <laughs> season two, uh, the Santa Claus action movie. <laughs> Can't wait for that. Yeah. Uh, there was also a meme, uh, someone posted that was like, um, like Loki season one or Loki, Loki season finale. And it was just a screen grab of that sketch. From <laughs> I think you should leave. And it's just Santa Claus saying like, it's kind of a cosmic gumbo. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. No, it, no, it not. does kind of work. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, so today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Loki season one on Disney plus and, uh, probably talk a little bit about some other stuff as well. Um, before we get into the review and everything, which of course we'll do a non-spoiler and spoiler review. Um, before we get into that, there's some stuff that has come up that I want to bring up. Um, really just one thing today that I talked to you about, uh, via text, Ben, but, um, in our previous uh, Patreon recording uh, on Tuesday, you mentioned that you saw the documentary Roadrunner. 
Yes. A film about Anthony Bourdain by Morgan Neville. And so today, um, Twitter kind of went crazy because <laughs> Morgan Neville had an interview, like GQ published an interview with him where he says, and I quote, <laughs> um, in the beginning, yeah. Uh, in the beginning, I went and gathered everything he ever said about his life. I went through every book and podcast and voiceover session and put together a binder of like 500 pages of him talking about his life. There was a moment when I was even like, gee, I could make the whole film in, the, in his voice, though I stopped myself instantly. But then I came across a few things he wrote, but that he never said. And so I had this idea to create an AI model of his voice, which we did. And the interviewer says, how does that work? And he said, we fed more than 10 hours of Tony's voice into an AI model. The bigger the quantity, the better the result. We worked with four companies before settling on the best. We also had to figure out the best tone of Tony's voice, his speaking voice versus his quote unquote narrator voice, which itself changed dramatically over the years. The narrator voice got very performative and sing-songy uh, in the no reservation years. I checked, you know, with his widow and his literary executor, uh, just to make sure he, uh, just to make sure people were cool with that, and they were like, Tony would have been cool with that. I wasn't putting, uh, I wasn't putting words into his mouth. I was just trying to make them come alive. And yeah, so Twitter, um, <laughs> kind of went crazy with that because <laughs> that seems like it is a very tricky gray area, and I kind of just, I, I'm already uncomfortable with the idea of deep fakes. Mm -hmm. um, video or otherwise but this seems like it is it's it seems like it is a very dangerous precedent how did you take this news and what was your reaction and could you detect anything in the in the documentary no i had no idea mm -hmm. um i watched it uh earlier this week so i didn't know that going into it but i i couldn't tell well uh, and he also has a quote that I forgot to read. <laughs> says, I created an AI of his voice. If you watch the film, other than that line you mentioned, you probably don't know what the other lines are that were spoken by the AI, and you're not going to know. Yeah. Which seems vaguely threatening and weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some moments that I was kind of confused about because he he does narrate these kind of whimsical kind of moments mm -hmm. um but i assumed that it was like excerpts from his audiobook or sure. uh from his tv shows mm -hmm. so i uh had no idea there um and at, at first reaction i was kind of uneasy about it as well like i mm -hmm. i was not a huge fan of learning about that right but from the the more that I read about it, he didn't just like make it up. Right. You know, it was things that he had written himself. He just had never said it out loud. So it's yeah. not you know he didn't like put words into his mouth. He didn't. Uh, right. He didn't make assumptions. Yeah, and, and and make something fictitious. Yeah, and and that's where it gets a little murky um, mm -hmm. in terms of it being a gray area and everything because. I mean, it is, it's a few lines from what I understand. And I, I can understand in this context it being, that being, you know, okay. But I saw like a comment saying like, oh, I can't wait until, um, like the, the documentary about like King Hillary or King, King Obama and <laughs> Queen Hillary ruling the world or whatever. Like just really like intense deep fake things that obviously we're at an, we're at a time in, <laughs> in the culture where, um, 
there is a lot of unverified bullshit that is uh, going around the internet and social media that all of our grandparents and aunts and uncles <laughs> and elderly relatives otherwise uh, are sharing without any uh, fact-checking or common sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so this creates just this weird sensation in me that's like it feels just very icky. Um, and to your point about it being uh, obviously being like things that he wrote and everything i mean just have a voiceover artist <laughs> like i can have an actual voice like did you ever see the documentary love and tosha about um no oh, god anton nope. yelchin nope okay um incredible documentary mm-hmm. um incredible and they go through a lot of anton yelchin's like journals and notes that he had and everything and I mean, it's God damn it. That's so fucking tragic. Um, but they go through that and the word like his like his words, uh, the narration is actually provided by Nicolas Cage. Um, and that's how they separate like Anton Yelchin's actually actual writing and everything. I'm like, I don't know, maybe do something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it just seems really like a bad precedent to send. Yeah, to send, to, to, to start. Yeah, and I mean, he he left behind uh, uh, two ex, well, one ex-wife at least, mm-hmm. uh, and a ex-girlfriend. So he they they could have read those. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You know, they had options. Yeah, it just seems. I don't know. It seems. Uh, I don't want to say deceitful, but it's it mm. it it feels like it's to. Yeah. To be fair, I I guess to uh defend the film mm-hmm. uh a little bit. Um there have been elements of documentaries in the past that have been fictitious. Like uh one of my favorite documentaries from last year, mm-hmm. um Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. Oh right. It was presented as this real bar with these real people who all know each other mm-hmm. and are spending one last night together before the bar closes. And then I didn't learn until afterwards that none of these people knew each other. The oh, bar really? wasn't real. It was just a bar that they had rented out Interesting. in a totally different city. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of set up cameras and documented what these people did together. Huh. So from that standpoint, it's, it's technically not a real documentary. There's right. some elements of fiction and nonfiction to it. So mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. But, but I, that, that's a, that's an interesting point because I kind of, of like my, my initial reaction was like, well, did it present itself as a work of fiction? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where, I mean, it sounds like it didn't. Um, but it, I don't know. Like I, like I understand reenactments in documentaries are necessary. Yeah. But I mean, they are reenactments. They are presented that way. So I don't know. It's just the whole idea of deep fakes just really, yeah. really bothers me and disturbs yeah. me. So it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yeah. Also, as someone who has hundreds of hours <laughs> of my voice out in the on the internet, um, I'm very, uh, very nervous about what that might entail or what, what that might. Um. Uh, lead to don't make any enemies. No, right, right. Oh, I've made a few. <laughs> yes. Um, you've seen pictures of pizza <laughs> clawing me and everything. Uh, with with her little love claws. Um. Yeah. So so I wanted to bring that up. Uh. Yeah. Anything else before we get into our review? Um. I don't have anything. Okay. I don't think I do. 
Nice. All right, cool. Well, um, yeah, let's go into our review of Loki. Uh, Loki is the third MCU show to hit Disney Plus in, uh, I want to say, in, within the last year. Because I think WandaVision came out before the end of the year, didn't it? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. But anyway, um, yeah, it's the third Disney Plus show um, to come out. And... Um, it I I like I said I did reviews of each episode on Patreon, and uh, yeah I I mean spoiler alert this was my favorite of the three shows so far, <laughs> hmm. um so it's it's I'm very eager to talk about it so of course we're gonna do a non spoiler review and a spoiler review just for uh shits and giggles I'm gonna read the plot summary courtesy of IMDb as soon as I load it up here um. Yeah, so Loki obviously stars Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, of course, reprising his role of Loki from the MCU movies. And, uh, oh, okay. Well, I apparently don't have a good connection here. Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, Okay, so it ran for six episodes. Okay, here we go. Uh, Loki, the plot summary is, The mercurial villain Loki resumes his role as the god of mischief in a new series that takes place after the events of Avengers Endgame, um, which was not worth vamping for. Um, <laughs> series was directed by Kate Heron, and uh, writing credits include... Uh, let's see. Uh, Michael Waldron, uh, Bisha K. Ali, uh, Eric Martin... And, uh, Alisa, uh, Alyssa, uh, Karasik. Um, yeah. So Ben, how did you feel about what were your, what, how were you feeling about the anticipation for Loki? Were you interested in it before it premiered? And, uh, where are you at in the MCU in terms of how you feel about where it's at now? So I, uh, had no desire to watch this, uh, until I got the screeners from Disney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I pretty much only, wanted to because i don't know i had access to him and i had nothing else to watch my wife is a tom hiddleston fan Mm -hmm. so um you know believe it or not this is the only mcu mcu show that i have watched so far interesting yeah and the actually the only disney plus original show that i've watched so far oh that's i haven't watched the mandalorian Hmm. uh haven't watched the mighty ducks show (laughs) uh (laughs) Whatever other garbage there is, I haven't watched it. Yeah. I will say, I really, I genuinely liked the first season of um, High School Musical, the musical of the series. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, it was very uh, tongue-in-cheek, uh, meta-humor kind of thing that I wasn't expecting. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, because you're, you're kind of a late arrival to Disney+, Plus. because if I remember correctly, you got it because of Hamilton? Because of soul. Oh, because of soul. Yeah. Okay. Right, so you sold Ham- your soul. <laughs> Ham- well, yeah, I, pre- I pretty much did. Right. My bank account could tell you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hamilton was a uh, secondary byproduct of that. Gotcha. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm... I like the MCU. I've seen all of their movies, I think, except for both of the Ant-Mans. Okay. Um the Ant-Men, I guess. Uh, so I've seen all of them. I just don't invest much time in them. You know, sure. I see them and then I move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't 
worry about, you know, what's being set up for the future. Mm. I don't uh, go back and see how this line in this movie connects mm. to this plot development in this movie four years later. You are going um, to love my Patreon review of the final episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's that's the weird thing because, like, I... I don't know. I I still don't... It's it's kind of hard not to get caught up in like what is being set up yeah. for the future, um, for for both the Loki TV show and future Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm not gonna you know go and read a whole bunch of articles about right. you know fan theories and whatnot. Oh yeah, that's where I draw the line. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of fan theories, like. Um, that I, 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 I can't abide that. I, I'm barely, like, I have gone on record at saying, like, just the idea, the overall concept of fandom in general <laughs> is something I, I am very much getting, like, very much, uh, very short, um, short, uh, temper with. Yes. <laughs> like, I can't take, I mean, and that's, a, that's a shaky subject because people, like their fandoms are obviously their escape from reality. Like if they have like if they have a hard life or anything or or hardships, mental illness, whatever, what have you, that is their their world. They're their thing and everything, which totally fine. Like I respect that. I understand that. I've been that several mm-hmm. times in my life. But I think moreover, the idea of a fandom, a singular fandom or your um the the idea of the thing that you're passionate about overtaking kind of your your life and personality mm-hmm. to the extent that you cannot um you ca- you cannot accept any kind of criticism about it or uh, you take that as a personal thing if you think that Disney fucking pays critics to <laughs> to stamp like to to give negative reviews to, of things because <laughs> they're in competition like that's that's asinine I don't know like if you if you have I don't know if you have like a, an obsession about something like obviously I'm speaking as the obsessive viewer. <laughs> I understand that, but also I mean think critically about these things. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just, it's I think that that's what breeds um that's what breeds toxic fandom like the whole there was a billboard in LA that was like that a group of people paid to have put up that said something to the effect of please please uh, Marvel, bring back Tony Stark, um, <laughs> bring him back to life and everything. Um, sincerely, the fans or whatever. Yeah. Like it was, it was something. And I'm like, fucking no. Like that, that is a complete story arc mm-hmm. of like a character arc throughout a decade of films. Like, fuck you if you can't see it being <laughs> like a completed thing. Like you only want, like, that's that's where I kind of draw the line. When when a fandom or someone is a fan of something that it creates a uh it creates this idea in them that that thing that they're a fan of is impervious to any kind of criticism. That yeah. bugs me. Fuck Star Wars. So um so yeah, anyway. Uh yeah, Loki. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, did you have any thoughts on that? Thoughts on Loki? Or uh on what I just said? The, um stuff about fandom well said oh thank you thank you i was fishing for that 
Um, because if you had any criticisms about what I said, uh, it's gonna be <laughs> no, I can tell you guys for a fact, I would be, uh, living a totally different lifestyle if mm-hmm. Disney actually did pay me. <laughs> right. So yes, don't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, so, okay. So you have seen most of the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you haven't read any of the comics or anything. No. Okay. Um, so, no, I'll just say no. Okay. I mean, I've I've picked up a uh, Spider-Man graphic novel mm-hmm. once or twice, but Okay. Yeah. But it's but, not like you have like a pull list from a comic shop that has a yeah, bunch of stuff. No. Okay, gotcha. So, um me neither. I I don't really read comics or anything, but uh, so this will be fun conversation. <laughs> uh, but I am a very big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And like I said in the intro to this, I I was not very interested in a Loki TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, be, specifically because it felt on the surface like it would be fan service. Because Loki, spoilers for the MCU, obviously. We're not going to spoil Loki yet, but spoilers for the MCU. Um the character of Loki throughout the whole history of the MCU, starting in, I think, 2010 with Thor. Um, I think that was 2011. I keep getting those confused on Patreon and everything, and I still have not looked it up. Ben is reaching for his phone, so thank you. Um, so <laughs> he's going to be my savior on this. But um, 2011. 2011. Okay. So since his introduction in Thor, like he has been a fan favorite villain throughout the MCU. And fan favor of my wife, too. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and and that's because I mean, I mean, he's a very he's an entertaining character. Uh, he's very mercurial. You don't know what side he's on. He's very he's he's mischievous. He's the god of mischief. And also Tom Hiddleston is ridiculously charming yep. and ridiculously fun in the role. And my whole thing up until up until Infinity War, really. I thought that, like, throughout most of the Marvel movies, they had a villain problem. Mm-hmm. It is, like, there's a lot of cookie-cutter villains that aren't very interesting. I'm thinking of Ronan the Accuser and Guardians of the Galaxy and a bunch of other villains. Um, oh, God. Um, Abomination. And, well, no, he's a he's a good one in Incredible Hulk. But, I, I don't know, there's a bunch of just kind of cookie-cutter and, and uh, two-dimensional villains uh, throughout the MCU. And when people celebrate Loki as like, oh, he's this great villain and everything, I, I kind of take, I, I have taken a little bit of pause with that because, like, he's, he's, he's charismatic. Because, like, in the Avengers in 2012, he's just, I mean, he, he, brings an army of Chitari to New York and kills Coulson and Mm -hmm. does a bunch of stuff. It's like, he's not, he's not like a diabolical villain person. But he, he, I think most of the appeal with him is because of Thor. Like if he didn't have Thor, he would just be another cookie cutter villain. Absolutely. And he, are you saying Thor the movie or Thor the character? Character. Okay, yes, because he's he's a foil for Thor, mm-hmm. um, and, it's, and he's jealous of Thor. Yeah, yeah. And with, I mean, the first two Thor movies aren't that great, but Ragnarok was amazing. Um, and when he, again, spoilers for the MCU, um, <laughs> in Infinity War, when in the f- opening scene, uh, Thanos just snaps his neck. Mm-hmm. It's like that. 
I felt, and I said this in the review when we did it a few years ago, that that felt like such a monumental moment because here we have uh, a villain who has been waiting in the wings for 20 some movies um, suddenly make his like grand entrance in the MCU and having the like previous, like, like most celebrated and like most um, fan favorite villain of the MCU up till that point, try to take the, take the new villain out only to have his neck snapped just as easily as anything Mm -hmm. that sends a very interesting message. And infinity war was a great Thanos movie. Um, That that was like the start of that movie too, right? Yes. Yeah. And what I love about it is that um, it like, uh god that movie's so freaking great but uh when loki's talking to th- talking to thanos he says he says the line that tony stark said to him in the avengers he's like we have a hulk and then the hulk comes and tries to beat up Th- mm-hmm. thanos it's just that's a fucking incredible scene but all of that is to say that i feel like that i felt like that was in a great closing of that character arc for the mcu so having him come into his own show felt like I, I was very hesitant about it. Yeah. Um, and that's how I was going into Loki. Um, should we go into our actual thoughts about Loki, our non-spoiler thoughts? Might as well. Okay. So right from the outset, I freaking love the show. <laughs> um, right from the get-go, I I was so enamored with the the aesthetic of the TVA. Um, because this is this is playing up after Endgame where 2012 Loki takes the Tesseract when the Avengers bungle getting all the infinity stones to go back in time, all that stuff. But, um, he takes it and then he is taken by the TVA, the time variance authority, um, to, uh, be pruned and taken away from the timeline that he created by taking the Tesseract. So I, I mean, I just loved the aesthetic of that. How did you feel about the, the feel of the, of this world that was created with the TVA and, uh, also Owen Wilson, as well as Mobius. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I did really like the look of it as well. Yeah. Uh, it has a very, uh, it's just a very unique look, um, kind of a fifties or sixties ish vibe, uh, just a very kind of bland kind of looking office environment, uh, just a kind of madman uh, uh aesthetic kind of kind of a bureaucracy right. kind of thing yes um <laughs> it's like the MCU's ikiru um <laughs> just kind of uh, drowning in paperwork yes uh and yeah owen wilson what a what a pleasant surprise hmm. uh, did you not know that he was in it not until it debuted Oh no, no! I I did not watch any trailers. I didn't watch nice. see any promos. I saw like the the promo image of the uh, the campaign Loki or whatever. Oh yeah, I saw that very prominently uh, and was kind of intrigued by that, but nothing beyond that. No, nice, awesome. So, what was your first impressions about the kind of show overall and non spoilers? So. I think I'm I'm I liked it overall mm-hmm. but I'm definitely uh, less hot on it than you. Nice. Uh, okay. I liked it and I'm excited for season 2 but I think there are some things left to be desired from it. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I wish, I really wish that it was longer than six episodes. Me too. Me too. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they knew from the get-go that it was going to be more than one season, but mm. still, like, the the arc of this season, I feel like, could have lasted another two or three, maybe four episodes. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way, and I think I feel the same way mostly because I wanted to live in this world a lot longer. Yeah. Um, have you have you listened to my Patreon episodes? Yes. Reviewing? Okay. Except for episode six, which were, was recorded like an hour ago. Yeah. Can we pause the recording and then I can listen to yes. that now? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but no. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I was obviously very hot on it and very excited about it. And it's I'm very curious um, when we go into spoilers, how you feel about uh, the greater uh, implications for the MCU because of it. Because I was so uh, like, it, it's funny because like in my Patreon reviews, I'm so glad that I did that because throughout it i well i'm not gonna say that because I'll, I'll save that for spoilers but okay. anyway um how did you how do you feel about time travel in fiction in general in multiverse kind of ideas and branching timelines and stuff are you are you someone who is attracted to that kind of science fiction and how did you feel about the implementation of it in this uh series yeah i like uh time travel in general um i think there's certain time travel movies that kind of uh, like if I spend too much time with them, my head explodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very easy to get lost in just the, the way that the time travel itself works, mm-hmm. you know, since it's obviously nothing that we will ever experience firsthand. Well, let's, let's not, <laughs> let's not get carried away. Maybe. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe that's what, uh, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, <laughs> right. And Elon Musk are ultimately working towards. Yeah. I do have an anecdote that when I was at USI with Mike, uh, our last night, uh, before the end of the year, before we all like went home, um, we went to like Applebee's or something, um, as a big dinner with like our friends and everything. And I, <laughs> I remember I was sitting there and this guy who looked exactly like me <laughs> was seated at like walked in and was seated at a table uh like across the way and like there's a picture somewhere of me uh of me at the table like pointing at <laughs> the guy in the background um so yeah so I always thought like okay this this guy is future me or something um hasn't he hasn't come to visit or anything mm. yeah Anyway, um, so that I, was weird. I um, thought of a great Patreon question that oh, we are nice. too late for. Damn. Uh, who you would want to play the alternate timeline version of yourself. Oh, <laughs> damn. That's a good one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll save that for next time. Okay. Uh, for when season two comes out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, and I mean, I was, I, I'm on record as loving time travel in fiction and everything. I'm someone mm-hmm. who, doesn't get flustered or anything with the mechanics of time travel as long as it fits as long as the as long as the um rules the interior rules of the of the fiction piece of fiction work and follow a certain logical like progression it doesn't break my brain because i can kind of just lose myself in in the 
the logic of the interior logic of the of the media. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, what are some of your standouts time travel movies, just off the cuff, and what are ones that you hate because it um, because it's too complicated? <laughs> if you um, say some titles, would it be a good primer of? Um, <laughs> Have you ever seen Primer? No. Okay, then that was a lost joke. Um, <laughs> or Lost. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Try and uh, we'll, we'll come back to Lost, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite time travel movies. I mean, uh, Back to the Future, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. Um, uh, what are some other ones? I have Brick, so... or not Brick, but Looper. Looper. Looper, um, Terminator. Sure. Um, uh, there's a Spanish film called Time Crimes that I'm a huge fan of by, I think, I think Nacho Vigalande did that one. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch that I'm a big fan of. Um, uh, Source Code, Avengers Endgame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's all a bunch of stuff. Obviously, Back to the Future is all time. Um, oh, 12 monkeys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Time crimes is so good. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, how'd you feel? Did already, did we already talk about the mechanics of time travel in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back in time and figure it out. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so Ben, you're making your, you're making your debut appearance on the, <laughs> fuck, we went too far back. Um, so, okay. uh, tell me your thoughts on this. Cause I was kind of struck throughout the whole season just how little superhero shit there was throughout yes. the whole season like loki and the other variants kind of uh or the other lokis mm-hmm. like have their own abilities mm-hmm. but they don't really use them all that much and see that it's the- not like you know I, uh, again, I haven't watched them, but it, no Falcon and Winter Soldier. There weren't any, you know, huge action set pieces. I agree, and honestly, it, it's kind of refreshing a little yeah. bit. Um, and it's the same as like like with WandaVision it was the same thing. What what I love about what they're doing with the Disney Plus shows is that they are very much. On one hand, they're very much interconnecting with the greater MCU, which mm-hmm. I'm relieved by because they're the stakes are are high and they are factoring into the greater MCU. And also they are telling more fleshed out stories um, in that regard. Like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things about Loki was that, as I said before, I I'm not too hot on the Loki character and what they've done with this character <laughs> in this show is they not only made me care about the character, but they turned a villain character who has done like he he's like he says in the show, he's backstabbed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. He's done all of these horrible things. It's he it's him confronting that and him recognizing that there is salvation with him in him. There is there is a chance for him to be, you know, a, a, a at least basically decent person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I love about that is it turns this villain character and creates a show focused on that villain, but doesn't create a Joker-esque origin story or a um, Suicide Squad-esque um, kind of anti-hero story. Cruella. Cruella. <laughs> yeah. Instead, it creates in it, like it takes this established villain character and creates an actually compelling and even sympathetic 
protagonist character. And I think that that is really, really interesting um, in the greater scope of things. Like, mm-hmm. there are moments in this where I felt, I felt for Loki. Um, I felt for the character who brought a bunch of aliens to New York City and <laughs> destroyed, killed, like, killed Coulson in Avengers. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I, I, I adore it. Um, yeah. And the time travel aspect of it is very interesting to me. We'll get into more of that in spoilers because it, it goes to some places that I'm very interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what about, uh, anything else in non-spoilers? Um, Yeah, uh, Tom Hilson, just his performance throughout this was uh, mm-hmm. another highlight. Uh, yeah. His chemistry with Owen Wilson mm-hmm. was great. Um, I think they, unfortunately, I mean, they they did a really good job with that early on. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of took a backseat to him and Sylvia. Yeah. So I, I would have liked to have more time with them, but it appears... In season two, there might be more of that. The mm-hmm. two of like him and Owen Wilson. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was it was a good good way to start it out with the two of them and their their chemistry together. I agree, and and I do think that it did a good job of balancing like his chemistry with with Mo- Mobius and his chemistry with Sylvie, um, and also having just all of this potentially convoluted but very entertaining time variance authority kind of stuff to mm-hmm. it um let me ask you this before we get into spoilers does this make you interested in watching the falcon and the winter soldier or wandavision um i am sure i will watch wandavision sooner or later uh like maybe before the end of the year okay falcon and the winter soldier probably not I can understand that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was what I was most excited for mm-hmm. out of the Disney Plus shows, and it is my least interested one. <laughs> okay. But again, what I really like about what they're doing with the Disney Plus shows is even with even with Falcon and the Winter Soldier being underwhelming, it does still uh, create in it some things that are going to have more ramifications in the MCU going forward. Yeah. Um. So... And that's required viewing. (laughs) And that's kind of what I find annoying about the whole MCU shows. Like, I don't want to have to watch these things to understand what's going on in the future movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's just annoying. And like, yeah, I, I know it's not, you know, obviously it's not required in order to like, they're, they're, I'm still going to be able to understand what's going on in the movies going forward but it feels like to fully understand it i should watch these shows yeah and i i just find that annoying i i can understand that and i would say that uh, yeah i mean when i say it's required viewing i mean like wandavision i think is going to be required maybe not required maybe that's the wrong word but it'll be important to watch wandavision before like seeing doctor strange 2 because uh, elizabeth olsen is going to be in doctor strange 2 oh um, i didn't know that yeah and also i mean characters from loki are going to be in ant-man 3 and yes. Uh, and <laughs> Doctor Strange too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say absolutely of the three, Loki is 100% required viewing for any MCU hmm. going forward, um, for reasons that we'll talk about in spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So you, you might have said this already. Is this your favorite MCU show? 
yes, one hundred percent. Followed by Wandavision. Followed by Wandavision, mm-hmm. and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now I know we asked this at the Black Widow screening to Evan, but I forget. What's the next MCU show? Yes. So the next MCU show is actually the animated show What If, which comes out uh, mm. next month. Okay. I thought that was out already. No. Uh, what If comes out August 22nd, I think, and uh, they just recently released a trailer for it. I think okay. that, that might be what you're thinking of. Um, but then after that, um, Evan had said that... Um, um, Hawkeye is going to be a Christmas show, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Hawkeye is on the horizon for this year. Yeah. But I think he said something else is, yeah. uh, on, is in between that. I found an article that's like, here's everything that Marvel's coming out with in the next <laughs> year or so. And like, it was so aggravating because it was just like, it wasn't a list separated by, like, it wasn't like a bullet point list separated by dates or anything. It was a, um, just wall of text with titles in it, like in like paragraph sentences. Mm. So it was kind of annoying. Oh, uh, I can't tell if this is a TV show or a movie. I guess it, it it's got to <laughs> be a TV show because it's not part of the movie schedule. Miss Marvel. Oh yeah, that's going to be a TV show. Okay, so yeah. that's coming out late twenty twenty one. Okay. Hmm. I know then, She-Hulk is coming out. I don't know if that's going to be 2021 or 2022. Not according to this article that I'm reading on therap.com. Okay. So Hawkeye Hawkeye has no release date, but it's on here between uh the Eternals and Spider-Man. Okay. So yeah, that'll be between like September and uh I don't know. September and uh, November is when the Eternals comes out. Okay. Damn. So it'll be between November and December. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's to the point where there's probably too much. And it's funny because a lot of people say like, oh, this is, I mean, superhero fatigue and everything. Like that's a common thing, which, which I get. I understand that. I have not felt that yet. However, I kind of feel like maybe with the inclusion of Disney Plus shows coming out and um, with everything they have in Phase 4 and beyond, I kind of feel like uh, there, it is definitely possible uh, that it would be uh, <laughs> uh, that it would be a little bit um, too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yeah, because they have something new coming out every month yeah. this year. Yep. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I I mean after Loki I'm super excited. <laughs> so I don't know what I don't know where my interest will begin to really wane with it and everything, but I'm floored by Loki. I know nothing about Miss Marvel, but I'm curious. Okay. I, I don't even know who's going to be in it. So Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about that one. Mm-hmm. I know that Hawkeye is going to have... Um, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be him training, uh, like, his protege, Kate Bishop, I think is the character's name. But she's mm-hmm. going to be played by... Why am I blinking on her name? Um, Dickinson. Pitch Perfect 3. Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. 
Interesting. Yeah, I believe, like, I'm 99% sure of that. And then for She-Hulk, uh, Tatiana Maslany is going to play She-Hulk. Right. Uh, which I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, so, yeah, so I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Haley Steinfeld and Florence Peele will, will be in that. Oh, nice. That makes sense. That Oh, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense after Black Widow. Yep. Um, yeah, so having said all that, should we go into our spoiler review for Loki? Let's do it. All right, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, and when we come back, we are going to be spoiling Loki. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this too. We protect the proper flow of time. You picked up the Tesseract breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. All right, and spoilers on for Loki season one on Disney Plus. Um, so, Ben, how do you feel about uh, Loki and the greater <laughs> MCU and everything after? Like, how do you feel about the the spoilerific stuff of Loki? Um, the finale, I was kind of underwhelmed by. I think um, I liked the things that happened in it. And I especially liked Jonathan majors, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about more. Yes. Um, but I, it really felt like a table setter episode mm-hmm. to set up what was happening, what would happen in season two. And that was kind of disappointing. And, you know, I understand that. And, and Mike had the same kind of reservations and everything. Hmm. Um, I'd actually asked Mike if he wanted to join us on this episode, but tonight's his movie night, so he's yeah. unavailable. Priorities. I know. But I, I understand that, and I agree with that, that yes, it is table setting. It mm-hmm. is setting up stuff for season two. But what I am floored by and fascinated by is that it's not just setting up season two, but it's setting up the rest, uh, like it's setting up phase, phase four of yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And as someone who is a homer for these for these movies <laughs> I, and a big fan of time travel and everything, I, I am very, very interested. Um, and I was very captivated by the just the the, the uh, lines and lines and lines and lines of dialogue and exposition. <laughs> Um, specifically because on one hand, it was all interesting to me because I, I was thinking like, okay, this is, this is his, his, he's Kang the Conqueror, which I didn't have any, any prior, um, knowledge of or anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think it's fucking hilarious to me because I, I did those Patreon reviews each week. And if you listen to them, I was very certain that like, oh, they're going to pull, they're going to pull the wool over our eyes and Mobius is going to be the big bad of the, mm. of the season. He's going to be the one pulling strings. Here are all the, all the little clues that I've detected <laughs> and everything. Um, right. Because they kept hinting at someone behind the scenes. And I was like, it, it has to be Mobius because there's no one else. Mm-hmm. And then like I said in the Patreon review of episode six, but I was like, but I had forgotten that there are decades and decades and decades and decades worth of comic books that this is pulling from. (laughs) And I did not expect them to introduce what I'm hoping is the big bad of phase four and beyond. Um, And if that is what they're doing, 
Um, and we'll, we'll back up and we'll talk about the variants. We'll talk about Sylvie and all that stuff. But, um, if that's what they're doing, if that's what Kang the Conqueror is going to do, if he's going to be this phase as Thanos, um, I am fascinated by that because not only did it introduce him in a very interesting way, yeah, it introduced the concept that they, they can fucking do anything with him. <laughs> Like they, it is so open and everything, which is also cause for alarm and concern as well. But already his first appearance in the MCU is more character development and more interesting backstory revealed than anything Thanos did up until Infinity War. And I find that to be very, very interesting. Um, so yeah. So how did you feel about all that? And well, yeah. Plus, it's Jonathan Majors, and, and it's Jonathan I'll, Majors. I'll watch him in fucking anything, pretty oh, yeah. much. Even like, though I still need to watch Lovecraft Country. Yeah, me too. I've heard great things. Yes. Um, apparently HBO didn't because they canceled it. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean, and he was he was. How did you feel about his performance? I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah, really fun. Really, uh, I feel like just about any other actor would have made that just not as fun yeah yeah yeah. uh also last black man in san francisco he's Mm. incredible in fantastic yes um so i'm uh i'm very curious to see what they do with him um and how much he will even factor into season two i mean i guess he has to be um but i didn't know that he uh, I'm maybe I had read this a while ago and had forgotten it, but mm. I I didn't know that he had been cast in the next Ant Man movie. Yep, he's going to be in Ant Man, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and uh, he's going to be in Doctor Strange in the multi Multiverse of Madness. Okay, um, which we'll we'll talk about the implications for the MC going forward, but let's backtrack and go to the variant aspect of it. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the introduction of Sylvie as one of Loki's variants um, and their relationship as it as it grew throughout the six episodes? Um, I liked uh, the actress's uh, Sylvia DiMartino, I think, something I think like Sophia. that. Okay. I, I liked her. I liked yeah. her performance. Uh, her character wasn't really shaded out all that well. Um, mm. And I believe you talked pretty regularly. Like, we don't know what her Nexus event was. Yeah. Um, she, we, we get that she was like, she's been running pretty much all her life or like trying to get revenge for, on the TVA pretty mm-hmm. much all her life or for a long time anyway. Yeah. Um, and so that, that aspect of her is really interesting, but beyond that, we don't really know a whole lot about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious how much they'll be able to do with her in season two, uh, since she's so, at least as of right now, she's so, uh, so far away from mm-hmm. Loki and everyone else. Yeah. Um, I think it's safe to say everyone's pretty far away from everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was, I was very, um, into their kind of chemistry and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very interesting and, uh, I thought it was very apt that Loki would develop feelings for himself. Yes. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really, 
good for the character. How'd you feel about Mobius and his jet ski obsession? <laughs> uh, great. Um, yeah, it's Owen Wilson just yeah. knocking it out of, the par- out of the park. Yeah, he has this very, um, uh, very th- this earnestness to him, and this mm-hmm. I like. That's why I was I was literally terrified that they were going to make him be <laughs> like a like a villain character, um, because I did not want that to happen. And yeah. like that moment in the void where Loki like hugs him goodbye was like, I was touched by that. I thought that was just very sincere and sweet. Yeah. And again, that goes, that goes back to talking about how the show develops Loki, the character, the villain character into a sympathetic protagonist in a very interesting way and, and very, uh, satisfying way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Just really good stuff. I read one review today that said something like, um, I hope that the Mobius in the the timeline at the end of this yeah. season and in season two is the Mobius that has uh, ridden on a jet ski. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, that is that is the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, How did you feel about the kind of influences in in the in the show? Like I. I was surprised that like the second or third episode kind of turns in. Uh, it was definitely the second episode when they're searching for the variant um, turns into this very seven esque uh, detective mm-hmm. homage kind of thing. And I was just like, this is so weird and fun and <laughs> energetic. How do you feel about all that? Yeah. It plays around with a couple different genres throughout mm-hmm. the whole season. Really? Yeah. Um, like it starts out as kind of a buddy cop, kind of Mm. thing and then a procedural thing in episode two and then it pivots in the second half to like a romantic comedy kind of thing with loki and sylvie Mm. so um i i think most of those elements worked pretty well Mm. um it would have been nice like i said to to have more episodes and to have more time between loki and mobius because we don't Mm get a whole lot after those first two or three. Yeah. And one of the things that I was kind of, uh, kind of disappointed about and something that makes me kind of nervous about the MCU going forward with this whole multiverse thing Mm -hmm. is the scene in, I think episode four or five uh, episode four where Mobius gets pruned Mm -hmm. and he's, he's gone. Like in that moment, I was like, I'm feeling for this. Like, Like, this is a very, very interesting kind of, uh end to that arc and everything Mm -hmm. and then in that same episode at the end of the episode loki gets pruned and so you know okay like i I, death doesn't matter in the show (laughs) um they're going to come back um which makes me nervous going forward with the multiple timelines thing because i want the dead to stay dead in the mcu i don't want it to be a comic book thing yeah this isn't game of thrones right right (laughs) (laughs) um i will say the fifth episode is hands down my favorite of the season i really liked uh all the interactions between loki and all the other lokis richard grant amazing i know yeah. yeah um i don't know how but i hope that they can bring him back in season two mm-hmm. um I mean, I would take uh, a whole season of just them oh, just yeah. hanging out and shooting the shit and oh, yeah. griping about different things. And, right. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that episode. Mm-hmm. Nice. The 
kind of big brawl thing in the bunker um mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of where wore a little bit thin with me um it kind of felt a little bit too over the top and silly but other than that i thought that it was incredible like the um i made this joke on patreon but i i really spoke to me because the episode was a uh an episode of a tv show uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a tv show that this particular episode was set on a desolate place where people are taken to against their will. Uh-huh. Um, and kind of purgatory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with a bunker that they access with a hatch and a uh, scary monster uh, that is uh, uh, presented to them as uh, giant pillars of smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it just reminded me of Lost and I loved it. Um, but... The visual effects in that were just stunning. Yeah, and and oh my god, the the visual effects in the in the the final episode, just like that opening sequence of just space and zooming out and everything, and then going to the timeline and just the visual representation of that is just mm-hmm. freaking just gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Um, really cool stuff, and it makes up for the kind of shoddy. Uh, green screen effects in the third <laughs> episode, Lamentus, which was yeah. my least favorite episode of the season. How'd you feel about that one? Same. Yeah. Um, I respect it for how it kind of feels like a, a Doctor Who kind of thing. Did you ever watch Doctor Who? No. Okay. So Doctor Who is is kind of a similar kind of feel. Like it has, it's this cheesy kind mm-hmm. of time travel thing and science fiction thing. And so I, I dug it for that reason, but... Um, it just, it felt, it felt for a show that has six episodes, it felt like a filler episode. Yeah. And I don't know, I was missing Mobius, I was missing the TVA. It just felt just really, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the other big gripe that I had with the finale was the, um, the, plot line with uh gugu mbatha raw yeah uh, and slayer yeah yeah i didn't care about any of that i me too. and i don't know where that's going Th- that's my problem because i was i was certain while i was watching it that she was going to show up at the citadel at the end of time and she was going to be the one to kill kang or mm. there, something was going to happen there but no uh, that's not the case like it's just it's just setting up season two like that's mm-hmm. something I I I love the setting up for future seasons and for for the future of the MCU with introducing Kang the Conqueror. I love that because of the implications of what's to come. I don't like that dangling thread of Renslayer leaving and not knowing where she's going or not knowing what her intention is. Yeah. She's going to find free will, so whatever. Um yeah, so that that was a little that felt a little empty to me. Um and her final confrontation with Mobius uh I kind of feel like Mobius in that timeline should have had a little bit better of a cl- like closure or some kind of end. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe like something more in that timeline. But yeah, yeah. Um, but let's talk about the the ending and the greater implications for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so what I was floored by is so there have been rumors that like spider-man no way home which comes out in december is going to be all messed up and weird (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and this kind of really confirms that (laughs) as a possibility and obviously it has very big ramifications for dr strange too like there were a lot of memes on twitter that's like (laughs) that's like pictures of people like being like angry and stuff says like (laughs) this is dr strange watching 
watching uh, like at the end of uh, Loki, um, <laughs> and it's like like the the picture of of community where Donald Glover walks in with the pizza and everything's on fire. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but like the greater ramifications is that my hope is that going forward, the Phase Four movies and shows and everything are going to go maybe not all in, but they are going to very heavily explore the broken timelines, the alternate universes, the chaos that's unfolding. And what I hope is at the heart of it, that Kang the Conqueror is going to be ever present in it. Um, And I, and I, I don't know when they'll eventually get to like a big, a big team up movie experience like Endgame, Right. But I think if they play it right and they do enough laying of the groundwork through multiple movies over however many years, I think they could, they could have a big, a big, huge event film that could rival Endgame. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know another way to, uh, in the next Spider-Man movie to introduce all these other canonical Spider-Man yeah. without doing some kind of, garbage nonsense about uh right. a messed up timeline yeah <laughs> uh so I, I i'm sure that theory has got to be correct yeah and uh i don't know like like there were a lot of a lot of tweets that were like now they can finally release a spider-man no way home trailer <laughs> um because now they've kind of played their hand that this mm-hmm. is what's going forward in the mcu so that's all exciting i'm not sure how i uh, in the grander scheme of things i'm not entirely sure how interesting that would make spider-man no way home because i need to rewatch far from home but like i i don't know i kind of i kind of want a more grounded new york spider-man movie (laughs) i did not like far from home yeah a lot of people didn't no yeah um yeah i need to revisit that because i'm working on a list of rankings of mcu stuff so okay um yeah um uh, how'd you feel about the final confrontation between Sylvie and Loki and Sylvie pushing him off into what ends up being an alternate timeline and her killing Kang the Conqueror? Um, I was okay with it. I think, uh, I think it could have been much more effective if, like I said, if they could have shaded her character anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked the implication of like the choice that they had to make, yeah. uh, whether they kill him or uh, they just like take over yeah. as the head of the TVA or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked the the choice and the implications that it has and the ramifications that it has. Yeah, and so um, I don't know a hundred percent if it makes sense for the character of Sylvie to want chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I liked the, the choice that that presented. Yeah. I think her main kind of struggle was that, like she says, she's, she's been working toward that for her entire life. Mm-hmm. And that is more revenge for the TVA robbing her of her life. Right. Essentially. And I think it's, I, I feel like that's, it's less about, creating this free will machine and more about taking vengeance on the TVA. Uh, I think a lot, there's a, there's a fair amount of it that is wanting that free will kind of thing to be introduced, but um, it's all pretty, pretty interesting. Also, 
uh, I won't go into specifics, but <laughs> because I don't want to spoil Lost, but uh, <laughs> the kind of conundrum at the end of this show was very Lostian, <laughs> um, which I I'm not going to say it was a ripoff or anything, <laughs> but I will say that I liked it. I, I'm I'm the audience for that um, for that conundrum. Um, yeah, so. Uh, the final scene where we see Loki finding Mobius mm-hmm. and Mobius saying he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> and then Loki looks and sees that massive statue of King the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the implication of where it's going to go in season two? How do you feel? How do you feel about this? Do you feel overwhelmed at all? Am I leading the witness? Um, <laughs> I liked the setup uh, and I, I don't know. I I don't know what it's, uh, how it's going to look in season two, and I'm okay with that. Nice. Uh, I'm not going to lose sleep trying to uh, pull threads and figure out what the hell is going on. So. Right. Um, And also, when do you think season two is going to be? Because yeah. that, that, that I have, that I'm, I'm curious about. Um, because I don't know where it's going to fall in the kind of greater timeline of right. the MCU. Um, also, I had this idea that I mentioned on Patreon. So, sorry if I'm retreading things for the Patreon supporters, but um, I w- there, there's no way that they're going to do this. There's no way that this is something that's going to happen. But my <laughs> hope is that season two is 12 episodes. Um, so I hope that it's expanded from the standard six that have been in all the MCU shows. Yeah. But what I hope that, what I, what I would hope that they do, what I wish that they would do if they did expand it to 12 episodes is make it release weekly, but release two episodes each week and each episode like tell two different timelines. So Mm. the two episodes that release, uh, on one day, are the same stretch of time between Loki on one timeline and Loki in the other timeline and see how much they diverge from each other as the season progresses. Um, that's my dream. I don't think that they would ever do something that high concept <laughs> or anything, but I think that, that would be very interesting. Is that your pitch to get into the writer's room? That is my pitch to get in the writer's <laughs> room. I have several uh, samples of spec scripts, mostly <laughs> uh, mostly about the adventures of me and pizza, my cat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Uh my working title for the feature script of that is uh, Protecting My Day, um, a pizza roll story. Um, yeah, I know. I know. And now that I've said it, no one can take it. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, any, anything else on Loki? Uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it for me. Nice. Nice. Yeah, same here. I'm very much looking forward to uh, what's to come next in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And... Uh, I, I'm, I'm very much a fan of the show. <laughs> Are you going to watch what if? No. Okay. Interesting. I'm curious about what if, because it's an animated show. That's, it's kind of an anthology show. It is, uh, each episode is a different, like kind of what if kind of thing. I don't foresee it having bigger implications in the MCU. Well, now that this happened in, in the Marvel Cinematic and in, at the end of Loki, maybe it will. I don't fucking know. <laughs> But I like the idea of kind of a one-shot 
like a bunch of a bunch of shows being one shot a bunch of episodes being like one shot kind of right things in the in the mcu so yeah um all right well uh yeah did uh, what did uh, where did you land on going back and watching wandavision and in, you said you'd probably watch wandavision and uh probably not watch falcon and the winter soldier right okay that's interesting because falcon and the winter soldier is definitely the most conventional yeah marvel cinematic universe show um there was some good in it there there was some good in it mm-hmm. uh, i liked it um all right. Well, that's our review of Loki. Uh, do you want to round? Like, do you want to to uh, wind down with a potpourri section, Ben? Let's do it. All right. So for uh, our listeners, potpourri is a section where we kind of wind down and talk about things we've watched lately, things we're looking forward to, anything we want, as long as it smells good. And uh, Ben, I have a few things that I want to bring up, if you don't mind. Um, first, do do you mind if I go first? I do not mind. Okay. So first up, I want to talk about a movie that you and I watched together um, at the Living Room Theater. For the $10 patrons, you can get a special uh, unreleased uh, recording that we did outside of the theater. Um, Ben, how did you, like, werewolves, Jesus, werewolves within. (laughs) I will go ahead and read a plot summary courtesy of IMDb um, that I did not think to pull up on my phone. Uh, Werewolves Within stars uh, Sam Richardson and Milana Vaintrub. Uh, it is directed by uh, Josh Rubin and written by Mishna Wolf. <laughs> Funny. Um, and uh, uh, okay, the plot summary for Werewolves Within is feature adaptation of the video game where werewolves attack a small town. And Ben, I was I was I was I was pretty excited to watch this movie. I hadn't known much about it or anything. Um, but I am a huge fan of, uh, Sam Richardson, um, yes. from, yeah, from, I think you should leave and Detroiters. Um, so overall, I thought that this movie was solid. Um, it didn't really blow my hair back or anything. It made me very interested in following the career of, uh, Mel- uh Milena Vaintrub, Vaintrub, because yes. I thought she did a phenomenal job, incredibly charming, incredibly, uh, personable. And the chemistry she had with Sam Richardson was really good. And funny. And, and hilarious. Funny. Yeah. Um, so it was good. A lot of it felt like, like I said to Tiny, um, I think I, I think I said this on page. I don't know where I said it. It may not have been recorded. But I told him, uh, he mentioned something about being interested in watching Werewolves Within. Or, or I asked him if he was. And then I said, you've seen The Thing, right? And he said, yes, of course. And then I said, you've seen The Faculty, right? And he said, yes, of course. And I was like, you've seen Werewolves Within. <laughs> because it is very derivative of that type of, 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 of movie. I would also throw in Clue. Yes. A little yes. bit. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was fine. It was, en- it was entertaining. Um, but it did kind of feel like it overstayed its welcome a little bit. How'd you feel about Werewolves Within since we didn't get a chance to talk about it really? Yeah, I enjoyed it as well for all the same reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are, uh, a, uh, an, an official Sam Richardson podcast. <laughs> right. So, uh, just another, another reason to love him. Um, and yeah, same with Milana, uh, mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I uh, uh, also uh, Harvey Guillen from What We Do in the Shadows, the yeah. TV show. Uh, fantastic here. Uh, plus just a bunch of other just solid character actors mm-hmm. um, who I am sure that I recognize from other things, but I couldn't put my finger on them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just... Uh, 
just a silly little uh, indie comedy horror, you know, kind of one of those movies that just doesn't get made as often as it should. Right. Um, I really liked the uh, any of the scenes where just all the characters were just together and just kind of bounced off of each other. Yeah. And it was just silly and they all got to just kind of react to one another. Yeah. Um, I thought that those were some of the better parts of the movie. Me too. Um, and then, yeah, outside of that, it's just, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, that and, yeah, the scenes, there's an, a scene kind of early on with Sam Richardson and Milana Vaindrub just together for just kind of walking around and going throughout the town. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of the highlight for me. Same here. Like, their whole kind of meet-cute kind of energy mm-hmm. was by, by far the best part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even even though I knew that I was watching a horror comedy and everything, I really felt for that kind of connection that formed between them, that kind of quirky energy. Um, I think that that just, that was, that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's my potpourri, uh, my first potpourri. Um, yeah. Werewolves within, I believe it's available to rent digitally now. Uh, yes, it's on VOD. It's still in theaters. Mm. I believe, I think it's still at the living room theater too. So, uh, another reason to check that place out. Yeah. Uh, Ben, what do you have for potpourri? Uh, let's see. Um, okay. So I'll talk about the, uh, concert documentary, uh, summer of soul. Oh, interesting. Or when the revolution could not be televised, Mm -hmm. uh, which is in theaters and on Hulu. Um, and this is directed by Questlove. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have his legal name in front of me. Um, Amir Khalib Thompson. Um, So it's a concert documentary uh, about this music festival that happened in Harlem in 1969, like at the same time as Woodstock. And it was kind of branded as like the black Woodstock. Mm. And it's this cultural celebration. Like they had like um, Nina Simone and, uh, Stevie Wonder and uh, Morris Chestnut, I want to say, uh, just a just a ton of just famous, uh, famous BB uh, oh, King, uh, Mavis Staples, David Ruffin, Sly and the Family Stone, uh, just tons of great musical acts, um, and it's concert footage of them. Plus these talking heads talking about the importance of this place and how, uh, how it was just really like a a getaway for these people in Harlem who lived in this community where it was, you know, they were facing poverty Mm -hmm. and racism and drugs and just all this stuff. And it's a really fascinating look at, uh, this, this footage actually like, was in a basement for 50 years or so and nobody knew that it existed outside of the uh the people that attended the festival Mm -hmm. um so it's just this great like footage that nobody has ever really seen before so uh just i i really enjoyed it i think it's one of the best movies of the year so far nice i guess I've come to learn this about myself this year and recently <laughs> that I just 
kind of by default just love concert documentaries. Interesting. There's something about them that I just, I always enjoy. Nice. Um, the ones that I have seen so far. So mm. uh, this was just great. Just nice. some great performances, some really introspective uh, talking heads, mm-hmm. um, and it's all just assembled really nicely. Very cool. I, I mean, I've heard incredible things about it, and yeah. I believe it's Questlove's debut, directorial debut. Isn't Correct. It? Um, do you? Th- I mean, how did how did he fare as a director? Good. Nice. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, he, he yeah. gets some good uh, interviews with his subjects. Um, nice. Like he interviews this guy who attended the festival and has, like I said, never seen the footage. Wow. And he uh, shows him some of the footage. And like at one point, he just like breaks down and cries. Oh, wow. Just watching it because it's wow. just so profound. And he has just such a fond memory. And there's even... Like it, it ran through for like six weeks or something. And it, it was only like, uh, like on Saturdays or Sundays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the days, uh, coincided with, I think the moon landing or it was, oh, wow. it was very close to it. So, mm. um, there's, there's a section in there where they interview some of the concert goers and they talk about the moon landing and like how they feel about it. And they're all just like, I don't give a shit about the moon landing. <laughs> Like, we're fucking starving here, and there are drugs and crimes, and we need schools and all this stuff. And and the government is, you know, spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to go to the moon. Like, that's money that could be used to help us, you know? it's Yeah, that's true. It's fascinating. Wow. Huh. Um, Maybe when uh, Jeff Bezos uh, (laughs) flies up into space next week or whenever... um, (laughs) Or this week, if you're listening when this comes out, um, I think I don't fucking know, but I don't care. But um, <laughs> maybe that'll put it into perspective, and he'll, you know, uh, give away maybe maybe a couple billion of his of his net worth. Uh, yeah, maybe to help end poverty. <laughs> Ugh, Jesus. So anyway, um, well, that's cool. That's on Hulu and in theaters. It's Summer of Love. Correct. And yeah. I. So we. Uh, there was a press screening for this movie the mm-hmm. same time as the yeah. Black Widow screening. Right. And honestly, I would have, I, I wish that I would have gone to this, this yeah. because I feel like it would be great to see in a theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Nice. Awesome. Well, that's cool. Um, Nice. Are you going to write a review of it? Mm, probably not. Okay, that's fine. Um, well, speaking of, uh, getting to see things in theaters, um, my next potpourri is something that is going to be in theaters for one night only. Um, <laughs> I don't know when, cause I don't have that information. For uh, me. the 22nd oh, nice. of July. Nice. So July 22nd, you can see the Netflix comedy special by Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham Inside is my <laughs> next potpourri. Um, I watched this uh kind of late at night on like last saturday or something um kind of on a whim not on a whim but like i had been putting off watching it not for any reason other than i'm mad hurt and that's what i do um in my spare time is i put off watching shit but um uh i watched it having been a big fan of bo burnham um kind of a late comer to bo burnham but i'm a big fan of his make happy um 
special and what as well. Um, those two are kind of on constant rotation in terms of like music from it, uh, that I have streaming on, on my, my app and just something that I'll watch in the background. Um, like he's, I think he is a brilliant, brilliant performer. Um, and so the context is that, uh, he, he released his last special in, I think, 2016, uh, 2016, make happy. And that was kind of his unofficial retirement from stand up from, from performing live. Mm -hmm. And like that has a very beautiful ending where it shows him, uh, kind of at a piano playing, playing out the last song. And then he, uh, he opens the door and goes outside and like, there's this image of like, like a child that he picks up and everything. He doesn't have kids, but like, it's supposed to be like, Oh, like a vision of the future for him. It's a very nice send off to his performing, performing life and everything, um, live performances. And so now throughout quarantine and throughout the pandemic, um, he created this special, uh, called Bo Burnham Inside. It takes place entirely within one room of his of his home, uh, the same room that's at the end of Make Happy. And this special, holy shit, <laughs> it is incredibly moving, incredibly visceral, and I honestly, I can honestly say two things. One, it is it by itself is better than any movie that I've watched this year that's released in 2021. <laughs> hmm. Wow so far and two is that i honestly think that this is it does what really good performing and like in in terms of like comedy and everything does what really good art does and um it reflects a time in our culture and it is a a fascinating kind of time capsule to what kind of the kind of the communal anxiety that i feel that america and the world at large experienced throughout 14 15 months of quarantining and fear and anxiety of of coronavirus and everything mm -hmm. and he just like he has this way about him that he puts so much of himself into his performance and into his art that like I, I talked to Mike about this and he said that he had read an article where he kind of talking about the difference, like the, the synergy, syn uh, the synergy of performance, like the, the relationship that Bo Burnham has with performance, with audience and with himself and how like it's a, it's an interesting mix and how it's, um, how like some of it is performance and some of it is not authentic, but it is speaking to a higher thing. But, I'm here to say I don't care. <laughs> I honestly, I don't care if like he didn't like if if the little interstitials that he has throughout it, where he is he's depressed and he is he's talking about his depression very openly and everything. If I don't care if that's performance, I don't care if that is something that he is putting in that special as as just a just kind of uh, like I said performance an inauthentic performance specifically because. I feel like the range of emotion and the energy, like I said, this is very visceral. I feel like that is very, very reflective. Like I relate, related so much to the stuff in, in this special. Um, 
because I, as well as everyone else, lived through this pandemic. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is he doesn't really even like call attention to the pandemic itself. It's very like in the moment and uh, very present. I, I, I don't know. I, I loved it. Um, yeah, and and just the artistry of it, the 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 beauty of it. Like, he, oh yeah, yeah, it's fucking amazing. Like, I don't understand it. I don't understand <laughs> well, how it can be conceived. Yeah, I like you. You kind of brush over this but mm. he he did all of this himself he yes. wrote it he directed it he performed it obviously mm. he edited it yeah he, shot it he wrote the songs yeah. he did the cinematography i think there's like one or two credits that are not credited right. like to him, producer but, credits right yeah. but other than that it's all him yeah and and i love the little uh stitches you get of like mm-hmm. him setting up a shot and messing with the lighting and uh that yes. very homemade aspect is uh just part of the appeal of it yes yeah and in the variety and because mm-hmm. it's not like him standing in the room speaking and and everything he does so much with that space and creates all of these very just intricate and interesting and different f- things about it funny things. and hilarious yeah. <laughs> yes um but white woman's instagram is <laughs> the video portion of that is yeah. freaking brilliant like yeah i don't understand i i can't imagine how much time he spent crafting all of those little pieces because <laughs> it but the actual song is freaking hilarious it, it is so great that and the uh the sexting bit yes were very so great. uh great visual moments yes yes um yeah and and i remember when i saw eighth grade in i think 2018 um i was i was just enamored with it mm-hmm. and i remember telling kirsten and telling everyone on the podcast and everything i remember like my immediate reaction was i really hope that he has more like film stuff mm-hmm. in his in his mind like i hope that he has more stories to tell in the film medium and like i i mean this just compounds that yes <laughs> um just the just brilliance makes us more more anxious to see what he does next absolutely for as a director yeah there's a there's a little a part of the song all eyes on me it's probably my favorite song of the whole a whole the whole special but there's a part where he tells a story and it's a, his voice is distorted but he says um I, I quit performing live five years ago because I was having panic attacks on stage and that's not a good place to have them. So I quit and I decided to get myself better and everything. And then he goes through all that. And then he says, and then I thought in January, 2020, that maybe I should start performing again. I've gotten better. I should reenter the world. <laughs> and then he's like, and then the funniest thing. Happened. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I just, I, I adored this. Yes. I, he, I kept thinking, and this is very big hyperbole, but I'm just like, I, I wanted to tweet this just ridiculous, like, um, uh, over the top thing and just be like, I don't understand how there are people in the world today creating art and everything when <laughs> Bo Burnham exists. Um, <laughs> like that was my kind of just like tongue in cheek over the top kind of hyperbole thing. But also I don't understand how... <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, I just, I was so, so taken with this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you, would you, cause this is another debate about the special. Do you qualify this as I a movie? Not. No, I okay. did not log it on Letterboxd mm. and it will not be on my top 10 or anything. Cause I do not believe it to be a feature length film. 
Okay. It is feature length. It is filmed. Yes. Um, but I don't believe it is a film. I uh, yeah. Okay. I will, I will go to my grave defending that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is better than any movie that I've seen this year. Um, yeah. Okay. So far. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Or do you want to give your next potpourri? No. Uh, no. I. Or I do you have another potpourri. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I do. Okay. Um. Uh, so I'll talk about the new season of Master of None. Oh yes, because we never did an episode <laughs> about that. Sorry. <laughs> it you know it's it's kind of weird. Like it came out like a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. and it feels so long ago already. Yeah, it feels it 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 almost feels like it just came out and was instantly forgotten. Yeah, and and what was the subtitle of it? Uh, moments in love. Okay. Yeah. Moments in love. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it just feels like, like it just didn't have the same fanfare as the past seasons. Yeah. Um, and just came and went and it's weird. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but, um, it's, it is very good. It's, uh, five episodes Mm. and it's a very different feel from previous seasons of master of none Mm -hmm. like uh so the the story centers on lena waith her character uh denise and her relationship with her uh as it starts out her wife Mm -hmm. um i'm blanking on her name and the actress that played her Um. uh Oh, uh, jeez, uh, where is it? Um, no, I don't know. Uh, Naomi Aki. Gotcha. Yes. So, uh, it it focuses on their relationship, and it's it's really not so. Uh, Aziz Ansari pops up in the first episode, and. Uh, another episode, I forget which one exactly, fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's only in it just a little bit. Right. Um, so the focus is mostly on, uh, Lena Waithe's character and Lena Waithe is great. She's a great actress. Yeah. Um, she, and I think she, uh, I'll, let me. I believe she wrote it with Aziz Ansari and Aziz Ansari, did he direct every episode? Yes, okay. that's right. Um. So the way that they write these stories is just great. It's Mm -hmm. so grounded and so believable and dramatic. And it doesn't fall into these stereotypes of uh, like the the whole time I was just, I I didn't know what was going to happen next. And it's, it's just a very human and very often, heartbreaking look at like relationships and long-term relationships and how they the the ups and downs that they go through uh just great it's it's definitely not as funny as the first two seasons but that's that's okay with me um i didn't mind it um the other thing that i was struck by uh, and Matt, you will appreciate this especially, but I felt some very strong Ozu vibes to in oh, this. Oh, interesting. Like the way that it's directed. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, I'm fairly certain the camera throughout 
the entire five episodes, I don't think the camera moves at all. Oh, that's interesting. I was, I I thought that was really uh, a really interesting choice because mm-hmm. a lot of the scenes play out in these long takes, yeah. and just it makes it feel just that more that much more real. Like it's like mm-hmm. a fly on the wall kind of look at what's going on in this story. Um, so I was really impressed with master of none nice mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because i i've said this before but i don't put a lot of stock in the imdb user ratings <laughs> but i can't help but notice that uh the moments in love episodes are drastically lower rated from users than <laughs> seasons one and two um i mean it looks like an average of like 5.8 6 point whatever out of 10 hmm. um so i'm curious i i because i thought that it was being pretty pretty well received um but like you said it kind of came and went um yeah so yeah so i don't know i'll have to, I'll have to may it. have to do with the internet's inherent uh uh homophobia oh that's true <laughs> yeah yeah that's true. uh not to mention they're both black actors and mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah that's a good point uh well not you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> uh, that unfortunately makes sense. Yes. Um, but I will check it out eventually. And uh, it's back. like I said, it's five episodes. It's mm-hmm. very easily digestible. Like the yeah. first episode is like 50 ish minutes long. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are like half an hour, nice. uh, except there's one other one, maybe the fourth episode uh that might be 50 minutes as well okay um but actually the fourth episode is probably the best of the season and mm-hmm. um lena waith's character doesn't i don't think shows up in it at all oh, i don't interesting. think it's a it's focused on uh naomi aki and mm-hmm. uh w- this struggle that she goes through to try and get pregnant and oh, interesting! It's it's very well done. It's a nice. great episode. Wow, that's that's awesome. I'm yeah. gonna need to watch it. Um, yes, you are. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, that is Master of None: Moments in Love. It is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you mind if I round us out for the evening with my final uh, potpourri segment? Go for it. Okay, this is a movie that I believe we have both watched. Uh, available on Amazon Prime, it is The Tomorrow War, <laughs> starring Chris Pratt. And Sam Richardson also. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, to read a plot summary again, it's, have you, not had. It you might on. say that this is the summer of Sam. I, I, I've <laughs> seen people say that, and I'm yeah. Ah, uh, also, cool. it, it also has Ivan uh, Strahovski uh, and J.K. Simmons, um, a ripped J.K. Simmons, and Marilyn Rice Cub, and Marilyn Rice Cub, um, Betty Gilpin, uh, Edwin Hodge. And uh, a bunch of people. Oh, Mike Mitchell, also. Yes, um, which yeah. is uh, the only reason that I had any desire to watch this. Oh, really? <laughs> because he's... Do you listen to the Doughboys podcast? I, I don't, but I've heard good things. I, I yeah, should. He's one of the co-hosts of that. And nice. uh, that was the only reason that I uh, had known about it from the get-go. Okay. Okay. But anyway, um, go yeah. ahead. Okay, so The Tomorrow War um, is a plot summary courtesy of IMDb is a family man is drafted to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront the past. Um, Yeah, so I watched this movie um, because I I, I like science fiction. I like time travel. I like (laughs) the... I, I, I... 
I'm a fan of these kinds of science fiction action movies to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. You know exactly what you're going to get. And um, yeah, I mean, it's big, stupid fun. I don't think too hard about it or anything. Overall, The Tomorrow War, I thought was okay. Um, I, I've got to say in this, I tweeted this and it, it, it still bugged me quite a bit. I don't understand why every single movie <laughs> that has like an alien presence or some kind of monster in it, why the fuck the monster has to look so much like the Cloverfield monster. <laughs> like this even goes to like a franchise that I actually really like, A Quiet Place. Like the, it mm-hmm. just looks like the Cloverfield monster. Like I just, I don't get it. Like I tweeted a snarky thing that's like, okay, attention everyone involved in movies in Hollywood. It's okay to make a, make a unique monster that doesn't look like the Cloverfield monster. It's been like mm-hmm. 13 years. Let it go. And I'll add on to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't all have to make clicking noises. Yes. I, yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. And I I listened to one podcast where they mm-hmm. talked about this movie and they were raving about the character the design of the aliens. I don't and get that. They do look scary. Yeah. Uh, but yes, they are pretty derivative. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um having said that, also just I know I said that I don't really think too much about the concept or anything, but also like I kind of feel like the future should have had better weapons prepared <laughs> for them because I mean, you shoot it and it's nothing. Right. Um, so, like, those little things aside, I, I did appreciate the time travel stuff in it. Um, there's some cool stuff with Chris Pratt and Yvonne Strahovski um, in it. The the one thing that I, I really wish would have been explored more and more of a figure thing is um, I wish that the kind of the the setup was a little bit more detailed um because there's a really good scene where they're being like it the the premise as i said is basically like people are drafted into being sent to the future to fight in this war and they go into the future at a uh, at the kind of parallel point of where they're at now um but they have like a wristband that it's like they're there for 7 days if they're still alive in 7 days it automatically brings them back mm-hmm. um to the present and then that's their that's their tour um so there's a scene where uh sam richardson and chris pratt are talking as they're being kind of instructed um uh, by the future people and they're like well that's weird because like because like um i'm trying let me let me think about how how it goes um all the people that are training us are young yeah and we like like this the whole theory is that they're only picking people who will be dead in the future anyway, yeah, and they're being trained by people that don't exist yet, so as not to create this this rift in time and like I found that really compelling, and it's kind of just a little line that isn't even really confirmed. it's just mm-hmm. a line that's said um so yeah, and there were some other things I didn't really care for, like the forced backstory or future story of Chris Pratt's character felt very out of place. Um, how'd you feel about the tomorrow war overall? Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a dumb, big, dumb action sci-fi movie. Uh, don't read much more into it Mm. than that. Um, I, I do really appreciate though, that it, this is a totally original IP and you don't see that 
very often these days. And, mm-hmm. and an original IP that Amazon or whoever paid like $200 million yeah. to produce. From so, what I understand, it was supposed to have a theatrical release, but... Right, yes. Um, they they shot it in 2019, so it okay. was supposed to come out last year, uh, and then something happened. I don't know. A funny thing happened. <laughs> nice. Um, and then, yeah, and I, I don't know. Amazon mm-hmm. bought it and uh, skipped the theaters. But yeah. I think it would have been fun to see in a theater. Yeah, you know? me too. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, Chris Pratt's character is just kind of this stock kind of hero guy. Um, and the, the podcast that I listened to that talked about this made a good point. Like, why does he have to be an ex-military guy? Like, I find, I find it more compelling if he's just a, some nobody Mm -hmm. Joe Schmo who is forced to go into the future and fight this war because his military experience doesn't really have anything to do with the future. Totally. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, (laughs) the, the thing that I found hilarious and this is, Minor spoiler, but there's a plot point in the third act that the fate of the world rests on these heroes (laughs) going to and getting advice from a high school student. Oh my God, I hated that so much. (laughs) About volcanoes. Fuck. (laughs) I, oh my God. It was so stupid. It was so dumb. Like, cause, and, and they do the thing where they have to seed that in an earlier scene. Yes, yes, yes. Where, and, and it's I'm, very obvious it's that it's going to so, get a call back. It's so obvious because there's nothing else to Chris Pratt's life in the yeah. present day. Yeah, like there's a little bit with his uh, with his family, but I mean that it. Oh god! And he that, there's there's uh, some kind of tossed off thing about how he has some ambition to do something great yeah. with his life, but nothing beyond that. Yep. Again, very stock <laughs> character. Um, did the, did the kind of poster art or cover art of it give you vibes of like, I, it kind of felt like this is Chris Pratt in his, uh, recent Tom Cruise sci-fi action movie phase. Um, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Comparing it to like edge of tomorrow. Yeah. And like oblivion, I think Mm -hmm. like, it's just, maybe it's just the poster design, but uh, like I've looked at it like a thumbnail of it. I was like, that kind of looks like Tom Cruise and like edge of tomorrow. And yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. That should tell you exactly what you <laughs> can go into in that it is just a kind of derivative, dumb sci-fi action movie. Yeah. Did you hear that there is already working on a sequel? Yeah, I did. I did hear about that, which, fine. But Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. but at least we had this one original IP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now there's going to be a Tomorrow MC or Tomorrow Cinematic Universe. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Ugh. All right. Well, uh, I think we've exhausted all of the topics. <laughs> and everything. Uh, anything else or should we wrap it up? Um, no, I think that 
That should cover it. All right. Until cool. next time. Yes. All right. Awesome. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, check out Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for a ton of other content uh, separated by different tier levels and everything. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play us out. And uh, yeah, I don't know what's going to come up next. I'm going to work on getting a special uh, episode together. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But if I don't, check out Indie Shorts international film festival which is going to be here in indy and online uh from july 20th to july 25th so having said all that uh thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time thanks and now here's a short clip from our patreon exclusive rss feed to hear the full clip and more exclusive patreon content go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of one dollar per month Thank you and enjoy. Nice. Yeah, it's been a while for me. Good flick. <sighs> um, the first movie I saw with pizza in my home was <laughs> What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, okay. Um, I wait, was it? Yes, yes, yes. Um, although I don't know because if what time did I watch this? <laughs> um, but said I love the concept of this movie, but I wasn't really in in love with it. Why did I say that? Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. So my review on Letterboxd is, I love the concept for this movie, but I wasn't really in love with it. The scenes between the vampires and the werewolves were the standout for me. There's nothing wrong with the movie. I just think my overall disinterest in vampire fiction kept me from really connecting with this movie. This is the first movie I watched with my new cat pizza roll, though. (laughs) So there's that. (laughs) Um, And the next day, I saw... I went to the theater for the first time... Uh, after becoming a cat owner and changing my entire personality to fit that, uh, yeah. that, uh, identity. Um, so the funny story with that is that I saw Krampus in the theater and mm. that same day, like that Christmas, I got tiny, a Kylo Ren doll, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I had it in a plastic bag just sitting out and everything. And so pizza was like a 12 week, week old kitten and I had never had a cat before. So I don't know how they work. <laughs> so I went to the movie theater to see Krampus. It's my first night away from the, from the cat. And the literally the entire time I was in the movie theater, I was worried that she was going to eat the plastic bag and choke <laughs> to death. And I was going to come home to a dead cat. Yeah. Um, fortunately that didn't happen. So yeah. Nice. Yep. I still have that color run. Nice. Same I still have the cat. <laughs> <laughs> The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. 
For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower Series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda, at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!